Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 36th blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows that booster box prices are far from relative. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. At Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Uh, James and I are glad to be here this week, and we're looking forward to sharing some valuable information with everyone. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Well, James, this week we have four segments. Segment one is our top movers, where we'll be looking at the cards that have seen the largest changes in price over the past week. Segment two is our cards to watch. This is where James and I will discuss cards that we have our eyes on as potential uh, places to profit. Segment three is our metagame we can review. This week we'll be looking at Star City Indianapolis, the first major tournament with Kaladesh legal cards. Or should I say Kaladesh cards that are legal? And segment four is our topic of the week. We'll be checking in on the Kaladesh inventions this week, which my dogs are apparently upset about. (laughs) (laughs) If they bought them early, they sure would be. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, and start segment one, our top movers. Uh, This first one, James, uh, I feel a little guilty talking about it. It's uh, Grim Flare, the foil from Eldritch Moon. Started the week at about $30, $32, and is now over $40. Uh, and we can pinpoint this one pretty precisely, I think, where <laughs> where this came from. Uh, if you didn't listen to last week's show, James chose this as one of his picks, and I said that it was a great idea and that I was putting some in my cart as we spoke. And now, lo and behold, the price has moved. So uh, yeah. no, no mystery here. Yeah, I had several listeners tell me they had bought some. So, you know, I think collectively we moved the needle on that one. And now let's, you know, wait and see whether the natural upward momentum the card was already experiencing uh, continues to roll out or whether we get stuck on this plateau for a while. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to take a moment to highlight that this is not indicative of all that uh, the market has really like the, the price on the card has moved up in the sense that uh you know demand has increased uh more so that just we saw it, we bought it and now there's less cheap copies left so i i don't want it to sound like we're patting ourselves on the back for predicting this thing was going to move ten dollars we did it yeah and i mean when people were done trying to buy as many as they could last week after we talked about it there was maybe two or three copies left on tcg and there's already 12 or 13 so you know eldritch moon is still being opened in a trickle and uh copies like this are floating into lgs's and getting traded in and the occasional copy is going to fill up the coffers on tcg and we'll see if modern demand overtakes that or not yep uh what's next for us well, we've also got Cultural Exchange Foils, the uh, Odyssey card that lets you swap creatures in EDH, moving from 10 to $14 in foil. That's a 40% gain. And uh, the second or third plateau for this card this year that used to be a forgotten card in the back of people's binders, still the kind of thing you should be poking around in your collection for to see if you've got any lying around. Even the non-foils have been on the move. 
I managed to dig up a couple of Japanese copies and sold them for like three some odd dollars a piece. Uh, they actually did sell and it was like a full play set. So there's demand for these. Um, and I'm seeing the TCG market price at, at nearly $14. So uh, the demand here is, is pretty real. I mean, anytime, which I, I wouldn't have guessed it to be as real as it appears to be. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can move a late 90s or early 2000s card that's not modern legal, um, uh, it usually comes from casual and EDH demand. So, and those are happy days for people that pick bulk. Yeah. Yeah. God, I remember when every card, this show didn't exist, but if it did, every card on this list would have been from that era, not modern cards. But that was, that was years ago. Um, all right, next up is Scrap Heap Scrounger from Kaladesh. Uh, started the week at about $1.50, $1.75. It's now about $2.50 for a nice 40% gain. The Scrap Heap Scrounger is the artifact that you can pay mod to reanimate from your graveyard. It was showing up in a lot of uh, the decks in the Indianapolis open. Um, there's black red aggro. There was, I think some delirium decks were using it since it's an artifact and it comes back and, you know, you're, you're happy to throw that in the graveyard. Um, so a lot of different strategies are finding use for scrap heap scrounger. Um, and in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we see this leak into modern too. This is a, a pretty effective tool for what it does. Yeah. I mean, this, this card, uh, was most famously put on display via the camera matches uh, for the green-black uh, recursive zombies list that Ryan Hovis was running at the Star City Games Open that was running uh, for Scrap Heap Scrounger um, and basically did not care how many times you cast re removal against him. He just kept bringing everything back out of the graveyard between uh, Ghoul Steed, can you believe him? anyone running that card, Haunted Dead, and Prized Amalgam, uh, along with Scrap Heap Scrounger, it was just like a graveyard bonanza for that deck. And it, it only finished 33rd, but that's still a pretty good finish for uh, what looked like a very unique deck. That is a lot of cards that our listeners are going to have to look up. Because <laughs> I definitely looked up Ghoulstein. I had seen it before, but I still had to look it up again. I, I love it when limited cards cross over into standard. There's nothing sweeter. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Oh, you, you can take our next one. Go ahead. So next on the list, we had Platinum Empyreon from uh, Scars of Mirrodin continues to move up the ladder as a mythic from, uh, you know, five to ten years ago that's being driven by madcap experiment type. Uh, we've talked about this combo already on the cast, but it's still driving demand from $15 to $24. I, I would suggest that a lot of this is speculative since I <laughs> seriously doubt people are throwing the deck together um, without seeing results. Um, but we've now got a 60% gain on the week, and that's you know something like 120% total for the card since it was down below $10 when this all started. It did show up, James. There was a modern deck, a modern storm deck uh, from Star City's Modern Open. I believe it was at Indianapolis this weekend that played uh, the package in the sideboard at two Imperions and four Madcaps in the board. Uh, that's true. That's true. Um, so board only whether so it was far, but, uh, and I haven't seen the interview with the, the deck maker yet, whether that actually played out, uh, in a way that they were happy with, but, uh, definitely worth investigating. 
Right. With something like that, you never, I mean, it's, it's so hard to know. You really have to just go to the source and find out what he thought of it. Cause he could come away and say, wow, this was the worst card in my deck. These were six wasted sideboard slots. Or he could say this was amazing. And I wish I was playing at main and you, you really don't know. Uh, but it did show up. We did see it. Um, although, you know, currently there are copies available for under 20 on TCG. So this price isn't quite, uh, quite sticky yet, uh, but a uh, strong success, you know, success, some sort of legitimacy, uh, would definitely cement it. Sure. I mean, this was Wesley C's fourth place storm deck from the modern classic last weekend that we're talking about. Okay. Okay. And he was running two platinum Imperion and four madcap experiment in the sideboard. All right. Well, next week, somebody will have dubious challenge in their sideboard and we can really complete the Kaladesh. <laughs> oh, I'd be so excited. <laughs> Why? Because then they wouldn't, did you, did you buy your copies yet? Oh yeah. yeah. I have 150. Oh, you bought them already. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got them at 25 cents. I couldn't resist. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they're that cheap already, sure. Um, okay. Next up is Aether Hub, a rare appearance from an un- standard uncommon on our list uh, in second place, nonetheless. Um, it has doubled from $1.50 to $3. Everybody knew Aether Hub was going to be in every standard deck, and then it turns out we just kind of all remembered it would be. Um, and they're about $3 a copy right now on TCG player. It's just, it's a land, it's a, it's a better, uh, better Tendo ice bridge. You know, it gives you energy for the strategies that need energy and it can use energy to make any color mana. And it's really easy to look at this card and go, okay, you get one color mana once and then it makes colorless. But if your deck is generating energy elsewhere, it's kind of just a city of brass. that doesn't cost you life. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely going to be a defining component of standard for the, next however many months um and if you're thinking about the foils i got bad news for you they're already 10 bucks <laughs> so the final card on the list this week no surprise to anybody uh 32 copies out of a potential 32 in the top eight of scg indie the first big standard tournament of the season smuggler's copter the rare from kaladesh moving from nine dollars to 17 for an almost a 90 percent gain um, now is a very, very good time to be selling these. Um, we have not yet hit, hit peak supply. Um, if you have any extras that you were wise enough to pick up in the 3 to $5 range when they were first announced and you've, you're not planning on playing with it this season, although that seems ludicrous since you're probably going to need it, but anything beyond your four copies, uh, go ahead and out those now while you can get maximum buy list value. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> The odds that this you somehow have a chance to sell this for more than fifteen dollars is is so slim. Just just take it and run. Um, but I will point out the market value on this thing is fifteen thirty right now. In fact, there is no copy available for fifteen for as cheap as fifteen dollars at the moment, unless you buy multiple and start splitting shipping. And even then, I'm not sure you can get there. So it's a very real $15, um, at least at the moment. So yeah, take it if you can get it, guys. I mean, four or five different deck styles uh, are running the card, um, which is why it filled the top eight. Um, it wasn't yeah. that the same deck was dominating. It was that it was good in almost every deck. And and this is a, 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 uh, a consistent trend line with what we saw same time last season with Hanger Backwalker, the last pushed um for mm-hmm. standard colorless creature uh with uh multi uh faceted utility um you know and and shouldn't come as any great surprise um i i'm working on a new article series talk, ca- called the method which is about trying to pin down um the kinds of things you should be looking for um to target specs accurately and one of them is definitely can be played in any deck because it's colorless um that's exactly the kind of thing you want uh, if you're looking for something that can become ubiquitous. 
Yep. Um, you know, and just to give our listeners a, a history lesson, Hangerback Walker started its life out in the like dollar to two dollar range, ramped up very rapidly to close to twenty dollars, well over fifteen, um, and it never recovered. It just tre- slowly trended down constantly. Um, so you know, that first week or two, it looked like Hangerback Walker was the format, um, and then it wasn't. So I think I would be surprised if Smuggler's Copter doesn't behave similarly it's not going to disappear from standard it's still going to be very strong but i would you can't expect to see 32 copies of this in the top eight every single week nope and uh you know the meta will adjust the meta will shift if if you do see that many copies in the pro tour then everybody's going to have answers for it uh the week after because it's not you're not going to be able to bring a deck to the table with a straight face without having those answers and and they'll figure it out the um now on the other hand foils i would say hold um the, the foil multiplier is not that high right now, and there is an outside chance this becomes a modern card. I'm fooling around uh, with it right now in a kind of Tesserator build that leverages Lingering Souls, Bitter Blossom, and uh, Thopter Foundry, uh, and sort of the meat combo um, to make sure that there's always something to crew it. And uh, it's pretty interesting so far. Um, I'm not convinced it's anything more than a tier 2, tier 2.5 deck, but... Uh, this is the card. The power level on this card is so push, and it's so easy to slot in that uh, it would not surprise me at all to see this played in modern sometime in the near future. Yeah, yeah, it could show up. And I mean, it looks like the foil hangerback walkers kind of hit their peak a couple weeks later than um, than smugglers. That um, the the foil hangerbacks peaked a couple weeks later than non foils. So the foil smugglers copter could still have some life in it. Uh, so I don't know. I don't, I don't hate that at the moment. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, we're in a situation where everyone at the Pro Tour knows they have to deal with Smuggler's Copter. Uh, and if people are still playing Infinite Smuggler's Copter and then people are still playing Infinite Smuggler's Copter two weeks after that, Wizards will just ban it. <laughs> so so there's nowhere, nowhere really for this card to go but down. Yeah, I mean, they're they're very reluctant on, on a to longer trend line. Yeah, yeah, they're very reluctant to ban anything in standard. But yes, if it if it does nothing but put thirty two copies in the top eight week after week for two or three months, they will issue an emergency ban to make sure people don't quit standard. Yeah, that because that that would get you there real quick. All right, so let's just move on to uh, to segment two here. Cards to watch, James. Why don't you get us started? Sure. So I've got my eye on a couple of the fast lands from Kaladesh, um, the foils in particular of the blue, red, and white black lands. That's Spire Bluff Canal and Concealed Courtyard. Um, white black uh, uh, fast lands have a couple of different homes in modern. Um, the white black tokens decks and the white black Eldrazi Hatebearers decks want to be able to cast both Path and or um, Inquisition or Thoughtseize on turns one and two. Um, and in the Abzan decks, they're looking to cast uh, similar cards. Um, and then with the blue-red uh, uh, land Spire Bluff Canal, um, it's already up to 15 I'm more interested in both of these cards around $10, so I'm hoping at peak supply we're going to get a chance around that price. Um, and then I think there'll be nice uh, pickups for you know one, two, three years out to double up um, on a relatively modest uh, appreciation scale. Um, but blue red is not a, is a color that's not doing particularly well in the format right now, but I don't think that's going to last forever. And, uh, black white is, is useful across multiple archetypes as I, as I pointed out. So definitely something I'm looking to put some money into at some point this fall. 
Yeah, I especially like the blue red land, the spider bluff canal. Uh, blue red is just historically done so well. Uh, I mean, basically every land cycle that sees any amount of uh, play, constructed play in other formats, the blue red land is either the most expensive or one of the most expensive. Um, if you're talking duels, shocks, uh, Painlands, uh, Scrylands, I mean, really, uh, it's all over the place. Um, really, Fetches. I think the only one, Fetches, yeah, really the only one that's not there is the Manland, but that's just because it just came out. It's got like a seven-year um, delay on the uh, the worldwide copy, so I, I definitely am a fan of that one. Cool. So what's your uh, first pick this week? Sure. So my first pick, uh, I went back to feel like the same well we've been at every week, but it's just so deep. Uh, foil Reality Smashers. Um, are about 10 bucks right now. A huge part of every Eldrazi list. It's in Modern and Legacy. I feel like we talk about this every week, but it's just like I just keep wanting to pick these cards. I keep wanting to buy them. 10 bucks for foil reality smashers is very reasonable. Uh, you know, that's showing like a roughly maybe a 3x multiplier at the moment. So there's definitely uh it's a little higher than some of the other stuff you see, but even if these cards get reprinted again in the future, it's so unlikely they're gonna be foil. <laughs> and uh, excuse me foils in uh, constructed playable foils constructed playable cards or foils tend to do very well when you're looking at modern and legacy because people get into these decks and they they really want to be in that deck that's their deck so they foil them out um and Eldrazi may represent such a new archetype where the foils are comparatively low uh, to other strategies that people may be more inclined to dive all in on the foil. Um, somebody picking up something like Jund or Abzan may find uh, the foils just disgusting. You know, they can't touch those. But it's like, hey, Eldrazi, there's a lot of very affordable cards right now that the the foils aren't that expensive. I want to I want to foil this out. So, um, you know, throw this on top of the heap with all the other Eldrazi foil and non-foil. But I, I like where Reality Smasher is right now at $10. I could see this $20 pretty convenient, pretty easily. Super hard to reprint. Uh, I would guess that we're not going to see it uh, in anything but a Modern Masters set and probably not till 2019, possibly even 2021, in which case this gets a full three to five years to mature. Um, the regular copies go to $10 if it continues to see modern play, and the foils could easily end up in the 20 to 30 to $40 range. Um, so yeah, I'm, I've been on board with this all the way along and still continue to appreciate the Eldrazi theme um, that we've been running with the last few months. All right. Thanks for the encouragement. What do you got next for us? Uh, my last one this week is Madcap Experiment Foils. Uh, as we were just discussing, it did show up in a modern deck um, and is going to... Uh, there will be all sorts of casual and EDH brews uh, around a card like this. And so, uh, the f and note that when it was included in that Storm deck in the sideboard, it was four copies of Madcap Experiment and only two of Platinum Imperion. Um, Platinum Imperion is a mythic and it's significantly older. Um, but the foils are a modest $3.50. That's nothing for a modern legal foil. Um, that could easily hit 10 to 20 down the road if this is the real deal. If it's not, casual demand might still drive um, some price appreciation over time via EDH and so forth, uh, potentially cube. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that socking away a few sets of Madcap Experiment foils, if you can get them, say, in at around 3 to 350 is a pretty safe bet. Sure. Sure, I don't dislike that. I can work with that. Um, 
My other card this week is, uh, I'm not quite as on board with this one, but I still think it's not bad, is Obstinate Baloth from M11. Um, it's about five bucks right now, up from 250 some number of months ago. I think it was a little earlier this year. It was on the 250 range. It's already doubled up, but this just shows up in like every single green deck in modern. It's just played everywhere, and M11, M11 is getting further and further away. Uh, so I don't think that this is going to you know quadruple up or anything. It's not going to be a $25 card because it breaks out in some combo, but I think that given the amount of sideboard play this season, so many strategies... Uh, we could see a, a pretty quiet double up between now and, I don't know, a year from now, six months. So uh, I would not be, you know, I probably wouldn't rush out to put money into this or other cards I'd rather spend cash on, but I will trade for these all day long if you're hanging around F&M. These are fine to take and trade because uh, you're not going to lose on them. And this is also the type of card you're not going to see reprinted in a commander set or something like that. Um, you know, I would really only expect to see this in standard legal sets. Uh, so... Yeah, that's, what, that's my other card this week. It's worth noting there's almost no foils available. There's one at 30 and one at 40 on TCG. And even in the non-foils, we've only got like 40 plus results. We got one guy that's got 42 copies apparently at 650. Um, but between everybody <laughs> else, there's only about 40 listings. And, you know, most of these stores are hold have between one and four copies max. Most of them only have one or two. Um, it wouldn't take much for this to drain off, but it's going to be a slow, steady thing. It's not the kind of card that ever gets, you know, held up as you know the the metagame defining portion of a deck it's a solid role player out of the sideboard it's usually only a couple of copies but a lot of different decks can run it um and it really just depends on how heavy you know how effective discard is in the meta at any given time i put i would put this on the same kind of level as something like a stony silence that's been sitting in the 10 to 12 dollar range for a while um of a, of a similar uh, age and so you know if supply drains out enough out of the marketplace then yeah this could hit ten dollars yeah, yeah. I mean, it's for sure not going to be a a spike. It's just going to be twenty cents cheaper every week or two until suddenly it's ten dollars. Yeah, this is a, there's a whole class of cards that never show up on our top list that just inch forward at three or four percent every few weeks um, for ages, and then all of a sudden the spike goes down, and you say, "Where the hell did that come from?" And it, it's worth looking deeper on the lists um, when you're looking at the indexes, folks, so that you can see what's creeping. Um, and it would be great if somebody would start publishing, uh, maybe we should start doing this at MTG Price, publishing a list of the, the top spec appreciations of the year um, so that people could get a better sense of those slow movers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to segment three, our metagame week in review. Again, this weekend was Star City Indianapolis, the first week that Kaladesh was legal and standard. Uh, and it was... People came out swinging. Um, I don't think anyone blocked chugga, all chugga, weekend. Chugga, chugga, Not chugga, a single chugga, game. Chugga, Nobody chugga. blocked. Uh, and, you know, the story at this point is there are 32 small groups copper, copters in the top eight. Um, so so clearly this was a format, uh, a, a week where everyone was just turning their creatures sideways and trying to improve their board position via looting better than everyone else. Uh, I, think, I think the real question here is... To me, at least, it's less about what happened and more about what does this mean for next week because I see a very clear signal here. Um, you can't have a format that is eight aggro decks. You can't have a format really that's five aggro decks or even four. So I think we are poised to see a big push in terms of control and mid-range strategies uh, this weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, that would be the natural conclusion. Um, one of the questions is whether the tools, the control tools, actually exist in the format. Um, Grasp of Darkness is a fantastic removal spell that can get anything up to four toughness for two mana, but it's a double black commitment. Um, a lot of the, the red spells um, can't go to the face, so they have trouble closing. De they're decent at, at, at handling board control, but um, can't close the game very easily. And uh, a lot of the mid-range threats, the aggro decks were, were able to just kind of push through. Um, using you know things like Sky Whaler's shot and so forth to remove key uh, key attackers, um, or you know Eldrazi that had hit the table in the mid to late game, and even cards like Ishkana that were you know defining roadblocks in the format earlier this spring were seemed to be having trouble holding their own against some of the recursive elements that were coming out of uh, green black and and uh, zombie focused uh, graveyard decks. The addition of Scrapier, Scrapyard Scrounger and a couple of other cards. Um, made it really tough for um, things that uh, were killed uh, in one-to-one -one exchanges to stay dead. Um, and it, it seems like a lot of the card advantage is in recursing threats as opposed to being able to sweep the board effectively. I mean, I think the, the control elements uh, are a lot weaker when you have to switch from something like Languish that was pretty good at wiping the board on four to uh, Fumigate, which doesn't uh, effectively take care of vehicles on five. Yeah, it's so surprising to me that Ishkana wasn't good enough. Maybe the people who ran Ishkana were like, oh my god, this was the best card in my deck, and I have to run four next weekend. Uh, maybe because it just seems like it's tailor-made to beat Smuggler's Copter, right? Like, it, not only does it block, it blocks for days, uh, and Ishkana itself eats Smuggler's Copter. So it really, it really stonewalls it quite well. Um, so I, I could definitely see a a jump in that strategy in the future weeks. But I mean, at the same time, maybe people were just like, yeah, you know what? I could be blocking with Ishkana, but I think I can do a better job attacking, you know, between like scrappy scrounger and prize amalgam and uh smuggler's copter. Maybe this is, there's just too much of that type of thing. Like too, too much. Like you said, it's not worth sweeping. There's just too many recursive or resilient threats. Like you're, you're better off just trying to, to join the fray rather than overcome it. I mean, one of the things that's interesting here <clears throat> when talking about Chandra Torch of Defiance, a card that uh, didn't show up at anywhere near the level people were predicting, um, and you better be believe that people that invested at 50 or $60 a copy or even 40 are getting pretty upset at this point, given that she's falling hard down uh, towards 30 The um, six, uh, seven, seven of the top eight decks in the top eight at SCG Indie were red decks, and none of them were running Chandra. They weren't running her in the main. They weren't running her in the board. Even the the decks that were running Planeswalkers uh, out of the board were running three or four copies of Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. So it's entirely possible that Gideon is just going to muscle Chandra out of that slot. It's it's kind of hard for me to imagine Chandra doesn't end up good enough. Um, I mean, this was just so obscenely pushed, and you know, I, I don't feel like we were wrong about this, right? Like you look at that card and compare it to other planeswalkers, like yes, this was pushed. There's no question. I, I have to imagine that the single most damning factor here is that she can't shoot down copters. 
um, which was terrible for at least this weekend. Uh, you know, not only can she not shoot down the copters, but it was unlikely that you were really going to be able to answer all the creatures that could crew it, which meant that they could just get in the copter and shoot down Chandra in response. So um, I think decks were probably having some difficulty overcoming that. And then you add into the fact that uh, you have, again, some more of these recursive strategies with Scrounger and Amalgam, and uh, she begins to look less effective. I do think the card is very good, uh, and I I believe that it will show up more in the future. Um, but, you know, being in the same set as Smuggler's Copter could put a pretty serious hamper on what would otherwise be a defining Planeswalker. Um, all of this said, she's $35, so no matter what, you should be selling your copy. Uh, there's just no possible way that this is profitable for you at the moment. Uh, you're better off revisiting this at, like, under 15 maybe. Well, one of the things that's interesting is that with the um, masterpiece prices falling, and we're going to talk about where the direction that that index is heading uh, in a little bit, but uh, and if Chandra continues to fall and say gets under twenty dollars, then there's a value exchange that's set up. You know, is it going to be Nisa Vital Force or Verderous Gear Hulk? Um, can Smuggler's Copper go even higher with none of the Mythics over twenty? Um, there's a there's a lot of value exchange that can take place uh, at the top end of the the set index. Um, if Chandra doesn't perform. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, quite possible. I, you know, when Chandra, when everyone's looking at Chandra, Chandra and going, yeah, this is going to be a $50 card, uh, you know, you couldn't really have any rares worth any money simply because between the inventions and Chandra and the Gearhawks and the, the Sky Sovereign, there was just, it was just too packed for there to be room for, for the mythics. But I mean, if this is a, if this is a helicopter format and we're all just living in it, then it certainly opens up some room for the rares to do more than we would have expected, which is surprising because I feel like the mythics in this format are much stronger than we have seen in other sets. Um, you know, some sets will have like three or four strong mythics and you can tell the rest of them are kind of just, excuse me, hanging out there. But I feel like Kaladesh has got to have like a good, 10 extremely playable standard mythics right like you the five gear hulks right off the bat then you've got um chandra and marvel uh, i mean that's seven right there and and you've still got a chance that sahili rai or dovan bond gets turned on by yeah. something in the next set um, and nissa too because she's and, in there as well four yeah. planeswalkers yeah so i mean it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out so i want to go through some of the more interesting decks because outside of the top eight which was almost exclusively aggro um there were guys that were just kind of like one win off off making top eight and they were running pretty cool decks so we had uh in 20th place with bant control uh ali antrazi one of the stalwarts of the control scene um was running a pretty cool deck that had um at its core two gideon two nisa vital force and four tamio field researcher um <laughs> a card that i flagged a couple weeks ago is something that might be on the move um based on bant demand um and they were running two Filigree Familiar, four Spell Queller, Sylvan Advocates, Tylerless Trackers, an Emrakul, and an Ishkana to go with their two Traverse the Ilvenwald. And then they had a Fumigate, a Descend Upon the Sinful, three Oath of Jace, four Blessed Alliance, which I think is actually a, an underrated kill card in this format, um, and uh, two Stasis Snare. Nice to see Stasis Snare kind of unleashed without Dramoka's command in the format. Blessed Alliance is especially good right now. If they're tapping down a threat to get the Copter in, um, making them sack an attacking creature can be exactly what you're looking for at instant speed. Um, so that was a cool deck. Um, in 22nd place, we had the Blue-Red Eldrazi deck that was run by Ruark Camacho. Um, this had three Drowner of Hope and three Ulamog with two Chandra. Flamecaller, though. Uh, one Jace Unraveler of Secrets. 
and then uh, a bunch of card draw, uh, card selection, and ramp cards alongside some counter spells and Kozilex return. So kind of like a, a blue-red mid-range control deck. We had uh, a reincarnation of the blue-red Thermo Alchemist list finishing in 23rd. This was running Storm Chaser Mages and Thermo Alchemists along with two Chandra Torch of Defiance. So a little bit of play for um, the much maligned Planeswalker of the week. Um, and this was in a Fevered Visions list similar to what we saw uh, Ryan Overturf running on camera um, during the open. Um, so the ability to just kind of churn through the deck using Tormenting Voice um, and uh, Fevered Visions and uh, discard into fiery tempo tempers and and try to get in with your kind of uh, a couple of pings here and there with the alchemist a few hits with storm chaser mage in the air and try to finish them off with burn and then uh, i'm sure you're excited to see uh, teamir aetherworks finishing in 25th this was the, running the full four copies of Emrakul the promised end and four ulamog the ceaseless hunger um, alongside four aetherworks marvels uh, a bunch of ramp and energy cards Cathartic Reunion to try to find their combo, Vessel of Nascency likewise, and then four of both the blue and the green Puzzle Knot. So this is kind of an all-in ramp combo deck, trying to get the, you know, everything's about getting the Marvel into play, everything's about finding a giant uh, Eldrazi and and getting there. Unfortunately on camera, <laughs> uh, because this thing only looks at six cards and, and not ten like Dubious Challenge, um, it's much less likely <laughs> to hit what it's looking for. <laughs> and uh and get it into play so there was definitely some whiffs on camera that probably uh sh will make people a little gun shy to go with this approach even still i will not be at all surprised to see uh an aetherworks deck make top eight of the pro tour clearly this guy's one failing was running aetherworks marvel over dubious challenge <laughs> well oh, no and good, you know what there's no good combos in standard with dubious challenge so i'm not that surprised uh as so as we are talking about this, I glance over at my Twitter and Jerry Thompson just posted that he's going live on stream with Green Red Aetherworks. Uh, he is basically playing the same deck. He's got four Serpent of the Conduit in there, four Marvel, three Kozlux Return, three Emrakul, double Ulamog, and three Ishkana, I guess probably as a stabilizing function. So uh, people are trying. People are trying that deck. Um, you know, I think with combo decks, what you tend to see is the initial build is as all in as possible. Um, you know, back in modern, uh, way back in the day, the first Splinter Twin de decks were like four Deceiver Exarch, four Pestermite, four Splinter Twin, four Kiki Jiki, or something close to that. Uh, and it was literally just try and cast a combo every single turn. And then over time, it just got pared down and down and down until it was basically just blue-red tempo with four Splinter Twins in it. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see the Aetherworks deck shift pretty considerably to a much more defensive strategy, or at least one that played more real cards um, that also just had Aetherworks Marvel in it rather than being centered around ramping it out and casting it um the uh, one other thing i want to point out uh real quick is just over on the blue red alchemist list uh, i did make note of cedric and uh patrick sullivan getting very excited about how hard it was to answer fevered visions these days and like every time uh somebody resolved fevered visions their opponents were just dead because they it was so hard to answer with uh with uh which we'll call it a tarkus command not a tarkus command dromicus command gone it's well, a lot less enchantment removal and if the format switches to control or mid-range, Fevered Visions <laughs> turns into a very dangerous spell um, because those decks are not going to like getting clogged hands and getting hit for the full damage every turn. 
No, no. I mean, this is this is almost tempting. It's you know we're looking at like roughly two bucks a copy, uh, but it is Shadows Over Innistrad, so there's a lot out there. There's a lot else going on in the set, and it's like two bucks. It was like twenty five cents. I tell you to buy Fevered Visions. Two dollars is hard for me to get behind. Yeah, I pulled in twelve foils for the long haul uh, through Puka Trade a little while back, um, and I like those. the The Howling Mine effects tend to be um, good long term holds. Um, uh, on the basis, that, especially the better, uh, the better of them, and this is one of them for sure. The the, the auto damage mm-hmm. being built in, like getting getting a, a black vice on top of your howling mine, is pretty sweet. <laughs> um, all right, so the the last deck I wanted to cover from there uh, that weekend that made a pretty sweet appearance on camera was the green black zombies list that Ryan Hovis was running. We alluded to this earlier. This was running four scrap heap scrounger. Um, Three Ghoul Steed. This is a, the 4-4 four, four for 5 Zombie Horse um, out of Shadows, uh, where you can pay 2 in a black and discard 2 cards to return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Um, they were also running Haunted Dead, which has been popping out of graveyards and bringing prized amalgam with it. Uh, four copies of each of those. They were using Noose Constrictor as a discard outlet. They had Gnarlwood Dryads uh, to function as Death Touchers to take care of threats. And they were using Decimator of the Provinces to finish things off, an emerge card that uh, was on my list uh, as a pick, potential pickup several weeks back, but was overshadowed by some of the, the blue and black options um, finally coming into its own. Um, they were also running three copies of Perpetual Timepiece, and if I remember the deck tech correctly, they said they didn't like that card very much. Um, so I would expect to see an updated version of this list, but I really like how this list um, just shrugs off removal. Like, you you waste a spell to kill one of their things, and it just pops right back out of the graveyard, and because it's coming back, brings something else with it. Um, all of those things are, are likely to overwhelm control players, and I think that the control builds are going to have to have an answer to the strategy. One of the things that's interesting about the format is that there's not any real way to attack the graveyard. Um, uh, in, in past for standard formats, there's almost always been a graveyard outlet, but there's not really anything in, in place right now. Yeah, I mean, at least nothing that is uh, is easy, right? You know, there's there's nothing like rest in peace. Uh, I look at I look at the screenback zombies list, and the only thing I wonder is he's got like twelve cards that want him to discard cards to do things, but he has no card draw. Like I would imagine his hand is just empty almost immediately. I guess it's not that big of a deal, but hey, even collector brutality, yeah, he's just I feel like that really needs some way to just draw a mass of cards, but. I suppose if that card existed, it would be useful elsewhere. Yeah. So moving on to our fourth and final segment, we just wanted to catch up on the price index for the Masterpiece series inventions. Uh, you know, we're a week out from the official release now, and uh, prices are, are heading downhill, uh, is, is putting it mildly. Um, the highest priced uh, invention at this point is Mana Vault, which says it's hovering somewhere in the 160 to 170 zone, but I've seen copies as low as 135 or 140 um, uh, on eBay. And uh, there's a copy up there right now for 145. And I would expect, Travis, and correct me if you think differently, um, that we haven't seen the floor yet. I think that with Expeditions uh, out of Battle for Zendikar, we saw uh, their floor come into play somewhere in mid to late November, early December. That's where we... You know, peak supply has come and gone. There's a lot of the supply in the marketplace. 
and you know people are going into the holidays needing a cash infusion and if you pop one of these in your local draft you're going to try to dump it online at the lowest uh price so that you know it moves and you get that cash in your pocket right yeah i i don't think we've seen the floor of these quite yet i think we're close uh you know i'm looking at zendikar expeditions which are the closest analog we have um and it looks like uh, around the time that they that Battle for Zendikar actually released, they were not quite at the lowest they could be, um, but they got there very quickly, and it wasn't much of a drop-off from there. Um, and then they were basically at their floor, between essentially between the Battle for Zendikar's release and uh, the start of the next year. So you had a couple months. I would expect these to be in basically the same place, although the demand profile is considerably different. Zendikar expeditions were tailored very much for competitive players uh, with the fetches and the shocks, whereas the Kaladesh inventions are definitely more for a casual crowd. Um, you know, you have your your Aether Vial and your your Mox Opal that are definitely for for modern and legacy, but uh, for the rest most rest of these, it's really just Cuban EDH, which may change this a little bit. I I I, I think that what you tend to see on cards of this nature, uh, these sort of promotional things, is um, is that you see this uh, initial wave of supply and the price drops pretty hard and it stays low for some number of weeks or months, depending on the card and, and whatnot. Uh, and then it ramps up pretty fast after that uh, to kind of a second plateau. So, you know, I think you get this early fat gut of supply and then people chew at it for some number of weeks. And then finally there it's kind of gone um, and prices start to react. So I would expect to see the floor on these last for at least we're I, I would guess we're fairly close to the floor and uh, we could go as long as another month or so at that level. But after that, I am, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I know that I would probably be looking to buy somewhere in late October or early November um, because I, I can't imagine they'll get much cheaper than they will be at that point. So, I mean, from my perspective, I've been looking, keeping an eye on, you know, the, the top three of the masterpieces so far, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, and Soul Ring. I'm just looking for deals. Um, I think that the, you know, they can come down into the, the 100 to $120 range um, as we move towards peak supply. And I'll be looking to pick up a few, at least one of each. Um, as we get closer, I'm most interested in Mox Opals and Ether Vials um, in and around $100. Uh, I think that those are going to be pretty solid long-term holds for Modern on the basis that um, there are multiple decks that want Ether Vial and to a lesser extent Mox Opal is relatively safe. It doesn't seem like Affinity is going to get booted out of the format anytime soon. And both of those cards are always four ofs. Um, Lotus Petal is also somewhat interesting because when it's played in older formats, it's typically as a four of. Um, and then from an EDH perspective, it's possible that cards like Chromatic Lantern, Rings of Bright Hearth, um, and uh, Sculpting Steel may get low enough to be interesting for long-term hold purposes. Um, once I see where the floor is at, I'll just be looking at deals where people are undercutting that floor, um, and I'll, I'll stock a few away. I don't think people should be planning on these being huge gainers, though. I mean, in, in comparison to the card pool of the Expeditions, um, many more of the, the lands in the Expedition series are considered um, iconic and or are needed in multiple formats as four ofs. Um, and uh, as much as I think we all like the inventions, um, 
if there was a lot of expeditions, you can likewise expect that there's going to be quite a lot um, of the inventions open this fall. And the usage pattern uh, for most of these cards is just much reduced versus the lands. So, and, and it's also the start of, you know, the now that we know we're getting these all the time, um, some of the glamour is going to wear off and people are going to be less excited about picking up each subsequent series. Um, so it's unclear uh, what the future is, but uh, definitely, I think, I think pe- summarizing, you can hold off for now. If you see a really great deal on eBay, you know, somebody posts a buy it now um, and, you know, mislabels it or something and you catch it before anybody else, um, you can feel free to pull the trigger on the cards I mentioned. And otherwise you can hold on for four to six weeks and try to uh, gauge somewhere closer to the floor. I always love it when our advice amounts to uh, if you somehow can manage to pay 30% of retail, you should do that. (laughs) People need us. I I have said that as well. Well, I mean, Uh, to to, to be clear, what I'm actually saying is that, you know, if a card is listed, you see it on an index like Mana Vault right now or Mana Crypt listed in the 160 to 170 range, it probably means you can find it on eBay closer to 140 to 150. And somebody's going to post a buy it now at you know, $129.99 just because they just popped it open and they want the cash. Um, One of the things I think that's interesting about Expeditions is that they really are treated like lottery tickets as opposed to playable cards. Um, If you open a foil mythic, some random gear hulk or something, in, uh, you know, just just the foil version, in your pre-release pack, you're probably going to sock it away in your standard binder and, and play with it at some point during the season or trade it away or whatever. It might just end up under your bed or in your in your closet, you know, semi-forgotten. And this is this whole concept of attrition that I come back to again and again, where the vast majority of Magic cards, if they were actually to enter the marketplace as supply, prices would crash dramatically. Um, the only thing that really props up cards is that over time, fewer and fewer of them end up in the hands of the dealers, and only a small percentage of the total printed supply is actually in circulation. When we're talking about things like the expeditions and the masterpieces, however, um, the vast majority of them end up in the hands of dealers because it's when you pop one of these open at draft night, if it's not a card you need for your cube, or you're not an EDH player, or you're just the kind of guy who could use a hundred bucks, um, you know whether you like the card or not. Typically, most people can be convinced to let go of a single card that they aren't emotionally attached to yet and they don't need for a specific deck if someone's going to hand them a $100 bill. Um, You know, a a dude at my LGS was the only guy at the entirety of the pre-release to open uh, a masterpiece and he got uh, another vial and we went off site and he sold it to me for uh, the equivalent of 105 US. Um, I was happy to pay the price for a long-term hold. I also run other vials in modern, so I've got a, a, a secondary use case if I need it. Um, and he just wanted the cash. And and the thing about, and, and that's why these things seem to be much more common than they actually are during this kind of building into peak supply season, um, is that these are very, very, very rare cards. But because the VAT, almost all of the ones that get opened end up being put up for sale, um, the appearance of low supply is not going to kick in until significantly further down the road. I mean, I agree with that. You have them kind of floating around right now and people like you and I and cube owners are kind of taking their time. Uh, There probably are not a lot of people rushing in to spend this much money on copies of cards, Um, but they are extraordinarily rare and it's it's almost difficult to appreciate just how rare these are. Um, So, you know, we're slowly going to see people picking away copies here and there and then there's just not going to be many left and there's not going to be many opened and prices will... I, 
I'm torn here because I think that some of these are going to react pretty sharply. I think something like Aether Vial, which is very playable, or Mox Opal, um, could easily double. I think we could see those go from, you know, if you can get those for $100 at some point, 120 I think you could see them over $200, uh, possibly this year. Uh, but the rest of them, I, I did agree with your comment that, that they're probably just going to kind of slowly tick upwards. You know, you have to add into this that we're going to be seeing these every set. Right. Like this is this is is kind of difficult to really appreciate, but there's going to be another slew of these in three months. We're going to get a whole nother batch of inventions. And then we're on to Amonkhet, where there's going to be another however many of them. Um, so with how fast and furious these are coming, uh, there may be people may be less interested in really diving in because there's just going to be so many. Right. Like, like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to pick up one of every invention, just like I wanted one of every expedition. But if that means you have to do one of every one of 55 uh, every six months, I mean, that's that's like your rent for the year. Right. Like so uh, prices may stay a little deflated simply because there's going to be so many that nobody could. Well, I shouldn't say nobody many people will be completely incapable of kind of addressing uh, the entire entire block of them. So, you know, there won't be quite that like, these are rare and I have to grab them now before they go away type of thing. I mean, there are some interesting cases here, like Mana Crypt uh, Expedi- uh, Invention um, is available, like I said, for $145 on eBay. Well, that's pretty much the lowest price for a foil copy with the uh, promo art from Eternal Masters from earlier this summer. I mean that 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 one was super a super weird one to be included since it was just released as kind of a you know uh, a flagship card in a set just a couple months ago. Um, but what did those, we go like twenty years with no reprint and then suddenly two within four months? Yeah, two two foils with excellent new art. Um, yeah, and but the prices are converging. So I mean, you can take your pick now if you like the old art. You can get it for a hundred and thirty. Uh, flat on TCG. Um, the next one is 140, and then 145. Um, and like I said, you can get the the Mana Crypt foil on eBay for 145 as well. So, um, you know, take your pick. Do you like do you like the the invention version or the other version? One thing I will point out though is when you're shopping around for these things and trying to you know snipe something uh, quickly on eBay, make sure that you've got photos um, or confirmation from the seller that the card is in fact near mint. One of the tricks I've seen with expeditions and masterpieces um, over time is that people will say pack fresh, um, opened, put in sleeve, shipped as is. Be aware of that kind of listing because to me that is always a huge flag that it came out damaged as uh, the expeditions and the masterpieces uh, uh, tend to sometimes be with a lot of flaking and the foiling process on one side or the the other. Um, and people will sell them to you as something that has been unused but was in fact did in fact come damaged. Now, in the worst case scenario, if you get a damaged one in the mail, I'm sure you can probably work it out with the seller, either get a, a price reduction or send it back. Um, eBay and PayPal are usually pretty good about having your back on those kind of things. The other thing that you can look into is there is a link, um, maybe we'll put it in the show notes this week, um, where you can contact Wizards customer service and they will replace it for you um, free of charge. I did that a lot with the Zenicar Expeditions. I picked up um, probably close to 20 SP copies, uh, quote unquote SP that had that sort of pack wear when they came out and got Wizards to replace all of them. Um, so that's an option. I agree completely that you know you shouldn't be paying full price from those. You should be kind of trying to angle shoot and get those SP prices, uh, knowing that you can turn them into near mint copies. But there is an element of risk to that. I just want to point that out. So you know, wizards may decide, may say, hey, we don't have any more two bad guys. Uh, you know, the the SP copy you buy might not be like 
you know, came off the printer SP might have been somebody played it without a sleeve SP and it wizards is not going to help you there. So, uh, just know that that's, that's, you know, what you can encounter. Um, but wizards was at least where the expedition's pretty good about it because, um, they were definitely coming out of the pack in, yep. in rough shape. Yeah. Um, I've heard the same. So, uh, I guess that's pretty much a wrap for this week, folks. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? Well, James, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Wednesday for MTG Price, and I show on up on the uh, the webcast, Cartel Aristocrats. Cool. And you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a suite set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right, that brings us to the end of episode, uh, what are we on, 36 here. Uh, I enjoyed our evening together, James. Thank you, Travis. Me as well. And we'll see all of you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finding.